Well, it's good to see all of you out there fanning away. It's the presence of God. Just realize that the heat is coming from a sun that God has set in place to be a sign for the day. And uh, I am empathetic. I get it. Uh, we've been praying for sunshine for several weeks. Just didn't expect the fullness of it, right? So, uh, but we are glad to be doing this. Um, it just didn't work out for us to be in the park this year. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be there next year. And, uh, and so for now, we're here. And we want to say welcome home. Uh, for those of you, some of you maybe haven't been here for a while. And we just want to say we are glad you are here. I uh, recognize children are here. You are not normally listening to me. And so I just want to say I'm glad you're here. I recognize that some of you are probably like, Mom, let's just eat. Or let's go to the bathroom or let's go play in the grass. There's going to be kickball later, nine square and things like that. Um, but for now, I'm just going to be sharing a few things uh, that God's put on my heart. And I'm hopeful uh, that you will be able to hear. So just to give a little context, we are beginning a series today out of Galatians 5 known as uh, Recalibrate. And I'll explain that here in a moment. But in Galatians 5, there is a very famous passage that refers to what we call the fruit of the Spirit. Now, as we're kind of looking ahead, and, and what does the church need to hear in such times? Uh, one of the concerns I had that when we were considering this summer and what we need to speak into, uh, we were discerning this back in January, that it's like, we know that as the church begins to regather, that there's going to be an importance of being led by God's spirit and not by the things of this world. And, the, and as we reconvene and coming together and having a fruit that is of God, not a fruit that is of the world. And so we are looking at this as a season of recalibration uh, where we can reset our defaults to being in line with where God would have us to be. To kind of give understanding for how we see this term recalibrate, I'm going to speak about my vehicles for a moment. Now, I have very good friends in this church that like to drive Chevys. And uh, the Hellers are, are that family, and, uh, and I'll be baptizing one of their sons today. But we often banter back and forth about our vehicles because I drive Fords. And, uh, and so since I have the microphone, I can brag on the Fords for a moment. And you won't be able to hear Dan speak at all. So, so Dan, this is your time to just listen. Um, he's sitting over here with a bunch of family. But uh, uh, one thing I will say is that every brand of car out there has their issues that they're known for. Their strengths, but also their weaknesses. Now, I own two Fords. One's a tw 2012 and one's a 2013. They both have the same issue, but in the opposite direction. The internal clock for my car is fast. So every time I reset my clock tw twice a year, when we go forward in time or we fall back in time, I am bringing it back to real time. But by the time six months later or several months later, we're changing the time again, my, my clock will actually be fast in my car. And so it's an opportunity twice a year to get it back correctly. My Ford Expedition 2012 has the opposite issue. It's actually slow. And so by the time we get to the next time change, it's behind in time. So we can never truly trust the clocks in our vehicle other than 
a couple times a year, it's, it's absolutely correct for about a month and a half. So it's off by like a, maybe a millisecond. But over time, it gets further away from correct. I can affect it twice a year. You know, I can affect it more. But twice a year, I change it to get it back to where it should be. But as long as it's default continues to be off by that millisecond, it's going to eventually go back to being slow, or in the case of my car, eventually get back to being fast. Now, in the regards to our lives, there might be times where you become aware, it's like, man, I feel agitated. I feel on edge. And you make some corrections to try to bring that into a better place where you're not operating in a, in a spirit that you don't like only to find that you do it well for a season, but then you default to, again, being maybe harsh or agitated, irritable. You understand what I mean? Whatever it is that is your normal, like if you're just not in a good place, the behaviors that your spouse or your parent uh, or your sibling would call out that, wow, you're, you're doing that again. That's kind of that default that we tend to fall back to when we're not under the control of God. You see, God gives his Holy Spirit to us to recalibrate that which is flesh or natural to us that would default to something that is not of God. So I know when I am not in a good place, when I can tell that my family around me or those who work close to me are starting to operate a little bit like, is it safe to come near you? And then I, I begin to look and it's like, yeah, I can see by their behaviors I'm not in a good place. And so I do a little bit of a recalibration. The problem is, is that if I'm not walking by the Spirit, I'll eventually go right back to where I was. So as we go into today, and in the weeks, the next few weeks ahead, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to set the default upon the Spirit of God, where we get recalibrated, where we fall back to that which is of God and not that which is of our natural flesh tendencies. And so we're going to get into the scriptures now. So if you would join me in Galatians chapter 5. Most of you probably don't have physical Bibles here with you, but you probably have maybe Bibles on your tablets or, or your phones. So we're going to be in Galatians 5. We're going to start by reading in verse 13 and give a little context to what we know as the fruit of the Spirit. So I'll begin. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, for you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires that which is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit which is what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, 
discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, and we'll use the term patience in this series, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Would you join me in praying that God would have us to hear from this text what our hearts need to receive. So Father God, I just dedicate these next few weeks to you as we go into this text and understand more clearly what it means to live and walk by the Spirit which gives freedom versus indulging in the things that the world celebrates that actually brings chaos, hindrance, and the lack of liberty. So Lord, may this day be a start in our hearts to realigning our hearts to your spirit and in submission to your will. I pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. So we're called to be free. Now this past Monday, we celebrated Memorial Day, which is to give memory of those who have given their lives for the sake of this country, which gives us freedom. Now, I'm going to just acknowledge something for a moment. I've received a few emails. Why did we not acknowledge Memorial Day last week? It was not an intentional decision. It was an inadvertent miss. We have always acknowledged those who have fallen on our behalf. But it's a good point to bring up today because it is speaking about freedom. And this freedom also was paid for by someone who died on our behalf so that we can have it. And that is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But as part of that death and providing us freedom, there is a natural tendency to indulge in that freedom. Because you and I are designed and inherently born with this thing called the flesh that the scripture refers to inside us that is self-seeking, self-honoring, and self-indulging. It is not considerate of others, and it's certainly not inconsiderate of God. So that's a default button that you and I are born with. When we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, it begins the journey of realigning our lives under a different core, a different point of calibration, and that is under his spirit, so that our lives become more and more like Jesus Christ. So as we journey into our um, faith journey, uh, we are going to experience moments of where we fall back to an old default button, an old place of standard, and that is the flesh. And so the writer of Galatians, Paul, the Apostle Paul, says you need to watch out that you do not take your freedom as a license to just do whatever you want. Because we know that by Jesus Christ, when we come into faith with him, he forgives us of our sins, past, 
present, and future. And some of us bank on his mercy by living a day or a season of our life doing whatever we want, living a life that we know would be a shame to show others that would follow after Jesus. They would look at your life and say, what are you doing? But in our minds, we know that God is merciful. We know that God is gracious. We know that God is patient. And so we presume upon those things and just live however we want. And Paul knows that. And so do not, as he says in verse 13, use your freedom to indulge in that which is of the flesh. That which you are supposed to be brought out of. And then he calls out a warning shot when he says, my concern is that not only that you would use this freedom to indulge in as a license to do whatever you want, but you will also use it at the cost of other people. Look at what's happened over the last 16 months in our country. The term freedom has been used as a license to be harsh and brutal. And we're talking not from just one side of the spectrum. It's from both sides of the spectrum that this understanding of freedom gets used as a license to be harsh to our fellow brothers and sisters that are in America. And it's also true in the church that there's been a little bit more judgmentalism that has gone on in the church in the last few months based on, well, did your church have a mask? Or did your church not have a mask? Or did your church sing? Or did your church gather on site? Well, our church, we met and we didn't do live stream. We have more faith. Well, your church doesn't have faith because they presume that, you know, that you've got to wear a mask all the time. You, you hear what I'm talking about? We use our license and our freedoms to sometimes bite and devour each other as, as, and we feel like that we're justified and we'll even use scripture to be the sword in our devouring and biting of each other. Paul calls us out that this is not how the church is to operate. And it's also true that Jesus says that the greatest testimony of the church to the rest of the world is our unity. Our unity is a testimony to the world. John chapter 17, Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, just, just moments before he's arrested. He's praying for those who are yet to be followers of him in a future time, which would be us. And he prays to God saying, may they be one as we are one so that the world knows about Jesus's oneship with the Father. So the testimony of the church being unified that seems like a miracle that people with all kinds of opinions and all kinds of backgrounds can all of a sudden come together with one voice, one spirit can then be a testimony of the world. That's impossible for that many people to sacrifice their own wishes for the sake of a greater good and come into alignment with one another. That's otherworldly. And it becomes a testimony that the church is indeed valid in their eyes. And that whatever it is that they're worshiping is indeed real. So by our unity, the world will know that Jesus and the Father are one. And so as 
Paul is speaking to this church in Galatia where he says, do not use your freedom for the sake of license of self-indulgement. Don't use it in that way because you'll start to bite and devour each other. He's concerned that you're operating by your flesh and not by the spirit that God has given you. And so he calls us to walk back in that spirit. Look at verse 16. He says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires which is contrary to the spirit and the spirit that which is contrary to the flesh. They are indeed in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you will not be under law. So it's important to understand that life by the spirit is going to be contrary to the natural flesh that you were born with. It's going to be an opposition. And so as he once again says, do not gratify the flesh of your spirit by, by your, your flesh by doing that which is actually an enemy to the spirit. Don't just do whatever gratifies that flesh. So a lot of Christians will go significant periods of time just doing whatever they want because, well, God will forgive me. Or I'll make it right with God later. Or I have time. I've got tomorrow guaranteed to me. And so I'm pretty sure I can get it right. Or I'm younger. And so I'm just sowing my wild oats now. I'll eventually come back around. None of us know what tomorrow brings. We don't even know that we'll end this day in our lives. That's not guaranteed to us. And so that's why what Paul says is, don't align yourself with that which is an enemy to your soul. Align yourself with the Spirit of God who will then lead you in a life where you don't have to use law to create the boundaries of your life. The Spirit will lead you for which the law points to. See, to live by the Spirit of God where he's giving you that counsel on a daily basis gives you the opportunity to know that which pleases God and not just by looking at a set of rules to say that this is going to impress God. If you live by the Spirit of God who is given to you at the moment of, of salvation, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, that Spirit comes to you and he becomes that inner counselor, as Jesus says, to lead you into all truth. And then you can live the life that pleases God where you're not thinking like, what should I do or what should I not do? You're just like operating in obedience to the voice of God in your life. And then that will lead you away from the things of the flesh because the spirit is contrarian to the flesh. So then he doubles down and, and makes sure that they understand what a person looks like that's supposedly a follower of God, but is living according to the flesh. And so there's a fruit of the flesh that he speaks of before he talks about the fruit of the spirit. So what are the fruits of the flesh? It says in verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, or a life of, of just living sensually. And then he speaks into idolatry. So anything that, that is of more importance than, uh, to you than God himself. It can be your career. It could be your family. It could be uh, your possessions. It could be that you believe that there are other gods that might help you more in this situation. Idolatry or witchcraft where you're messing around with other spirits. But how about this? 
What if the fruits of your life look like this? Hatred. What if the fruit of your life is discord? Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition. Dissension. Factions. Envy. Drunkenness. Orgies and the like. Notice anything about that latter part of the list? It has a lot to do with relationships. You can tell when somebody is not operating by the leadership of the Holy Spirit in their life when the relationships around them are becoming fractured. They're becoming hindered. And they're starting to experience brokenness between them. Where there's selfish ambition, where it's all about them, all of a sudden creates awkward moments between them and the others. Dissensions start arising as a result. Factions, where camps start being developed. Well, if you're going to behave like that, I'm going to hang out over here. What is the fruit of your last few months? Are people drawing to you? Or are they drawing away from you? Is the Spirit of God your default right now? Are you calibrated according to the Spirit? Whereas you live out your life in such a way that people are drawing near you and are finding benefit by being near you? Or are they stepping away from you because your life is really not about anything but yourself? Then he contrasts it to that which is of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, is joy, it's peace, it's forbearance or patience, it's kindness, it's gentleness, it's faithfulness, it's goodness, and it's self-control. Self-control being the opposite of just a license to do whatever you want, but a control that speaks to something that is submissive. Last Sunday, Ed Sherman, one of our elders, spoke to us about what it means to be in obedience to God. And obedience really has at its root submission. A person that lives according to the license of the flesh is somebody who chooses to not to submit to anybody else, but to their own wishes, their own fleshly desires. And Paul is very clear in this text. If you're doing that, you are living as an enemy to the spirit. A person who lives according to the flesh is living a contrarian life to that which is of God. God wants to produce in you that which is peaceful, which is kindness, which is patient with one another, is peaceful, has joy rooted in it, even when things are hard, is gentle towards other people, and is not easily given to the flesh desires to just do whatever they want. So there's self-control. That is a person whose life is getting calibrated to a default of the Spirit of God. A person who is submitted and obedient to the Spirit's work, not to the flesh and the license to do whatever we want. And this is important because it says, a person who lives like these things 
It says at the end of verse 21, as I said before, those who live like this, where they're using a license to just live however they want, are not the ones who will inherit the kingdom of God. Because the spirit is not what's at work in them. So there is an importance to this. That when we say there is fruit of the spirit, it's the evidence that the spirit is who your leader is. It's the evidence that there is a submission to God, not a submission to self-indulgence. He concludes with this. How is it that we can become submitted to the Holy Spirit? It begins with taking that which is of the flesh and nailing it to the cross. It begins at the cross. So for those of you that have lived and grown up in the church, we hear and we know about the cross of Christ. It must remain front and center because it is the dividing line between those who receive the Spirit and therefore can expect eternity with God in heaven at the end of life here versus those who are on a path that reject the work of the cross and choose a self-indulgent life that is all about them at the cost of not only their soul, but possibly the influence of benefit to other souls. We must take those fleshly passions and desires and nail them to the cross and say, God, I yield my will to you. I submit to the work of the cross and I yield myself to the work of the spirit and not to me. So we begin at the cross saying, Jesus, yes, your death paid my penalty. And I, by faith, accept that. And so I take these fleshly patterns and I nail them to the cross and I make you Lord of my life, leader of my life. And then as it says in verse 25, after we nail those fleshly patterns to the cross, it says, then we walk and live by the Spirit. See, it says we live by the Spirit and we keep in step with the Spirit. And how does that work? It means every day, as that original calibration that was bent towards the self is being nailed to the cross every day, we're hearing the Spirit's voice inside of us saying, well done, every time we submit. Or when we step to the, towards our self-indulgent tendencies, he's like, don't go there. It's not worth it. You will not be satisfied. That's the Spirit's work inside of you. Or even right now, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, it's the Spirit that would draw you in and say, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. The fruit of your life is all about you. The fruit of your life creates discord. The fruit of your life does not bring healing to others. Come to Jesus. He gives you the Spirit. And then your life becomes life-giving to other people. And then he concludes with this. Instead of biting and devouring each other, as he said in verse 15, he says, let us be, not become conceited, provoking, or envying each other. Because we're submitted to Jesus Christ. This is the gospel at its very root. There's the cross. There's our flesh. Are we willing to say, no longer me, but him? No longer me, but him. 
and I'm going to become obedient to the spirit in my life and quit living it, this life as a license to do whatever I want. And perhaps even today, you can commit to living for Jesus in obedience. And one of the things he asks us to obey, to do, is that when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, one of the first requests that Jesus has, or I should say commands that Jesus has for us, is to be baptized. Baptism being a public proclamation that you're saying, it's no longer me that I want you to know. I want you to know Jesus who's in me. It's him I live for. It's him I live for. And baptism is that proclamation. We become obedient to us. Many people have given their lives to Jesus Christ, but they fail to proclaim, and that's the very thing that Jesus wants us to do. That's what the baptism's all about. It's to say, I die to myself, I come alive in Christ, and I want the world to know that, which is what this is going to be about. We have several people being baptized uh, this, this morning, but I want to give an invitation right now to everyone. If you are a child of God and you have never been baptized, why not today? Why not today? Think about why you have not. If you've been a child of God and you've not been baptized, why not? Is it about your own personal will? Is there a fear about something? Why not be obedient and begin a path of obedience to his spirit by starting today, by telling the world it's about Jesus in your life? If you would like to be baptized this morning, we want to give an invitation to you to when this song begins to come around this side of the stage. There's a set of bike racks right behind uh, the truck, the white truck behind me. There'll be some elders and pastoral team members there that will be glad to meet with you and to hear the testimony to say, to hear from you, do you indeed have faith in Jesus Christ? And do you want to proclaim him today? They'll get that testimony from you. And then as, as, as they hear from you, then we'll be able to affirm whether or not this is indeed something you should do in this moment. But this invitation's for you. So for those of you that are already committed to being baptized this morning, and those who are baptizing people and the elders and pastoral team member, would you get up now and go back? So for those of you um, already committed to baptism, you go to the patio that's at the end of the office, and that's where you'll be meeting there. For the rest of you, pastoral team members and pastors, uh, and then elders, we ask that you would go to the bike racks behind to meet with anybody that would want to choose today to be baptized. Do not go another day not being submitted to the Spirit of God. Jesus, I just pray right now that you'll give courage to those who've been doing life as a license to do whatever they want at the cost of harming others, not just themselves. And then hindering the relationship with you. God, help them to want to yield their spirit to you. And I also ask, Lord, that you would help those of us that are walking with Jesus. We've been baptized, we've been obedient, but we're in a season of disobedience. Would you do a new work in us through your spirit? Recalibrate our souls where we align once again with the spirit of God. 
So Holy Spirit, we invite you now to do your convicting work in each of our lives to know how to each of us should respond to this message today. I pray this in the name of Jesus by whom you operate. Amen. Come now. Don't wait.